Hey, everybody, and welcome to Introspectional. I am super excited to talk to you today because guess what? I not only used my first press pass, I went to Farpoint Convention. Farpoint Convention is a convention that is in Hunt Valley, Maryland. It has been around since 1993. And so this is a great opportunity for me to see a older convention for me. Normally I'm at Comic-Cons, so like Awesome Con or Blurred Con. So going to Farpoint was like, all right, let me see what a kind of more traditional convention is like. So one thing that I noticed from my experience, and this is really interesting to put Farpoint in context, is that because it started in 1993, it vibes like older conventions, like back when Star Trek, Star Wars, and Doctor Who were the only game in town. So going into that, I was like, this is new. This is interesting. And so because I was experiencing going to a con as press for the first time, I decided to come up with a convention rubric. I will share that later. But joining me on this episode is Dean Rogers. Dean Rogers runs the Rogers Review, which has been in publication for several years, and he'll tell you more about it. But this is an opportunity for me and him to discuss our experiences at the con. And also, maybe you can decide if you want to join Farpoint Con in the future. So, Dean Rogers, welcome to- This feels wonderful to be on a new podcast, especially since I'm usually the one that's interviewing people. So being on the other side of the fence, it's weird at first, but I'll take it for granted. But it's great to be here. Awesome. So happy to have you. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and the Rogers Review? Sure. My name's Dean Rogers. I'm originally from um, the great state of Maryland. Yes. I heard my name is Steve Rogers. No, Dean, Dean. Ah, yes, Dean. Okay. I just America on the brain, do you? I, you know what? I just sometimes you hear something and I'm like, wait, which Rogers? All right. Yes, Dean Rogers, who runs the Rogers Review. Please continue. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I am Dean <laughs> Rogers. I'm originally from the great state of Maryland, but I currently living in Virginia. And I'm lifelong Washingtonian, been around here for 40 plus years. And I started the Rogers Review right after college, Bowie State University, class of 08. Bowie? And my, yeah, Bowie, exactly. And uh, my friend dared me to do it because I was looking for a job in the world of media as a journalist. My background is in broadcast production. So she recommended I start my own magazine, even though I was working for another magazine. And I thought she was crazy and it's not going to happen. People are not going to read it. It started off as a one-man movie review site, and then it grew into a team the next year, and then 14 years later, we were still around. We cover all aspects of entertainment. We cover concerts and movies and streaming media and festivals and conventions. The list goes on and on. And we are now operating in three different states. We are in D.C., Maryland, Northern Virginia, Florida, New York, and we were in California last year, but our reporter from California just moved to New York this year. And it's been a wonderful experience interviewing celebrities, talking to people, going to conventions, and experience all that is entertainment. And you need to check us out at The Rogers Review, review spelled R-E-B-U-E dot com. There's my pitch. 
Awesome. Thank you for, again, coming to Introspectional. For my listeners, I haven't been around for 16 years. I've been around for a year and a half, two years. So it's really great to have you on, especially given your experience and perspective. Zeroing in on like kind of sci-fi fantasy media, what's Mm -hmm. your origin story with these types of works? I'll have to thank my mother for that. My mom got me into Star Trek at a very young age. God rest her soul. And she introduced me to Star Trek Next Generation, the first episode that came on in 1987. I was six years old. So hooked that it became our show to watch. And because of her, I went to my very first convention in 1994, which I met Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Briggs at the Tech World 2. It's, I forgot which hotel. But it's right across the street from now the convention center. The convention center was the old one, but not the new one that that we have now for the last several years. And she actually took me to the Star Trek exhibit back in 91 at the Aerospace Museum, downtown DC. And then I joined my first organization, Starfleet International, which I've been in now, wow, 27 years. I'm a Commodore at that. And- got rank. I do have rank. I have the uniform in the back somewhere <laughs> over here. But yes, I, in fact, when I first started going to conventions way back when conventions are like Farpoint that we both went to recently, it's meet fans, meet fellow geeks like us, get autographs, meet the stars, talk to the people. And that's why one of the reasons why I love going to Farpoint because it's reminiscent of those old days where before there were selfies, before you had to pay for pictures and pay for so many different experiences. It's just very intimate. And all the years I traveled to different conventions in Florida and New York, Northern Virginia, and it's a very good worthwhile pursuit to see how different conventions big small short tall operate because you get a grand experience of what different conventions are like how different fans react to different shows and being part of a family and that's why i always tell people that nowadays when i go to conventions it's not just belonging to a fandom since i've been growing up with them for 20 almost 30 years now I've seen a lot of these people grow up, especially the young kids are now older, young adults now. It scares the hell out of me. But now that I was 12 when I started and I'm 41 now, it's been a great experience that all these friends that I've met throughout the years, they grew up with me. They always asked about my day, my job, my experiences. And it's been a blessing to be part of this fandom. And the answer to your next Star Trek I like Star Trek, Doctor Who, Red Dwarf. I love Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf is one of my favorites. I love Chuck. There's so many different types of fandom, Star Wars, but Star Trek will always be my baby because my mom and I loved it. That was the first show that got me into it, and that's the show I've been hooked on ever since. I was just going to say that I love that. I have memories of watching Star Trek Next Generation with my granddad, and it's funny because it's, For me, Star Trek Next Generation is the track that's almost in the background in a weird way because I was I was like four or so when it came out. So I was familiar with it. But the first track that I like thought out on my own, which I feel like is my track was Voyager. I was like, yeah, I was like 12 or 13 when it came out. And that that 
cooked me. But it was interesting going back for me, going back to Next Generation when I was in college, because I took a class called a sci-fi television. And it was just, oh, wow. and I love sci-fi television in general at that point. You know, I was watching Bastard Galactic. I was watching Farscape. I was like, there's an in class of this. I can get three credit for this. Yes oh. and yes. And so it was really a review of so many different shows. So we went back to Red Dwarf and The Prisoner, I think, and then hit a couple of Star Trek and just kept on moving forward through time. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so interesting because they were just like these shows that I'd never heard before and then just getting these different vibes from it. But yeah, like that is so cool. And I love the fact that you talked about conventions as a family and kind of going back year after year. I know with me, I started going to conventions. My first convention was Otakon in Baltimore. And so Otakon, for those of you who don't know, is an anime convention at in my opinion, it was at one point the biggest anime convention on the East Coast. It was at originally the Baltimore Convention Center. So I went because my friends got me into anime and then kidnapped me and then took me to, to Otakon. I, I look, if your nerdy friends don't kidnap you, you don't have good nerdy friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, these were my friends who I still have today. But going to those conventions year after year and then finding other ones. So I remember going to New York Comic Con for the first time and then Awesome Con, Blurred Con. I even went to London Comic Con when I was doing a study abroad there for a while. All of these different conventions were really cool, but they were, for lack of a better term, kind of generalized cons so that you had multiple fandoms there where it was like, you have comics, you have movies, you have television. And then for many years, I know I went to these conventions as like a broke con goer, which meant no celebrity autographs for me. But <laughs> I had sent a blast running around to different panels. I also was often a teacher at the time. So some conventions allow you to get a, a professional pass, which yeah. is let you go in for free. So a couple of times I was, again, running around at the con, really broke with my little free pass and granolas and apples in my backpack because con food is expensive. That's the one thing that's never changed in almost 30 years of going to conventions is con food is crazy, which is why I always had to go outside of a con to eat. It's especially the food, I think, at Awesome Con. That's probably the most crazy expensive. Yeah, I'll just go over to the restaurants. I know that area. I'll just eat over there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I do adore Awesome Con, but we're not going to talk about Awesome Con because it's not an Awesome Con conversation. <laughs> but I do adore it, and and yeah, so that's so that's interesting, and and I love hearing your kind of con history because I feel like one thing that's interesting about conventions is as clearly lucrative as they are and as popular as they are, I don't feel like we talk about the experience of going a lot, why we go. Why do we spend this amount of money? And I feel like some people who, who don't attend or who never have attended are a little confused sometimes. I've introduced some people to the con experience. Like, I've never gone and I want to go. And what do I do? And I'm like, you go, you kind of have fun. You get talk to a couple people and then you go home. They're like, really? And especially I had a couple friends who are like, do I have to dress up? And I'm like, it's not a requirement. You can <laughs> if you want. I usually just come in with a nerdy t-shirt because I'm like, I'm off like the flash to things I want to go to and I don't want to get stopped. But one of the things I find interesting about cons in general, especially people that, that science fiction attracts, is that you have a bunch of people 
who are often introverts who like reading and watching movies and thinking about them by themselves. And some genius decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take all these introverts and put them in one room together and they're going to have fun and they're going to like it if it kills them. And you know what? That mad person, it worked. It was great. And it's funny. And it's funny enough that it's now been 51 years since the first Star Trek convention came out in New York. So I cannot believe we're now a half a century in conventions and it's still going. It's still profitable. But I feel as an observer and a longtime convention goer, it really didn't hit its peak until the mid, I say about the dawn of the 21st century, because back in the day, if you were a Star Trek fan, if you're a sci-fi fan, you were a geek, you were an outcast, you, they felt that they didn't know anything, but come 2000s with Harry Potter and Twilight and all these others, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, is this serious? We can actually do this? We can actually have fun? We can go with these things? And a great example of that was when I went to my high school reunion a few years ago, <laughs> <laughs> and I talked to my friends and they were all of a sudden telling me, oh my God, we love Star Trek. Oh my God, we love Twilight. Oh my God. You guys know I loved this stuff before it was suddenly <laughs> the cool thing. <laughs> so it's kind of like redemption in a way, but at the same time, going back to what you were mentioning moments ago, I've gone to conventions for many years at first to belong, to have a group of people to talk about science fiction, to share this fandom without feeling ostracized, without feeling left out, without feeling alone. And it's always a blessing to me, especially at the teenage years of my life, to have that outlet, which I can fly my geek flag on, put on a uniform, and feel wonderful. And as I mentioned earlier, that it now feels like a family that even though I got my regular family, but I got my fandom family that I can go to. I got my brothers, my sisters, my cousins, my nieces, my nephews, my god kids. <laughs> them grow up and they've seen me grow up. I still cannot believe. No, actually, no, I can believe that most of these friends that I've known for almost 30 years now, I cannot believe it's been almost 30 years, that we still share this experience. We're not tired of each other. That's the most important thing compared to regular families. We're not tired of us. We fight, we cry, we laugh, we have fun, but we celebrate science fiction, fantasy, horror all around. And it's a great feeling because you can't do that with family from time to time. You can do it with your fandom family and it's okay. It's okay. I totally get that. Like I said before, I have friends who, you know, opened up this world to me who I'm still so close with. And I sometimes describe to my friends when they, when I know they're, they have children, I'm like, yes, and they are raising their child in the ways of the force. So things are all good. Yeah. But also getting into those in-depth conversations with people who are interested in the same things you are. And it's really funny. I describe it sometimes people that what's kind of happened to fandom and like my biggest expression of fandom was actually fan fiction for the longest time and the transformation has gone through is like really being into an indie band and then all of a sudden they get a major record deal and everyone knows them and you're like well I was there when they it's just very and it's interesting because it goes into sometimes the ownership 
thing, which can be really weird. I think it's also like when I describe to people sometimes about the time, and again, thinking specifically about fan fiction, when I describe to them about the time that fan fiction authors were terrified of being sued by authors, right? they would like, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. And then we built our own sites and sometimes they were forced to shut down. The, Excuse me? Like the idea of a world where, you know, fandom and fan art was not like publicly accepted is a world that is hard to contemplate, even though it was like less than 15 years ago. And then I remember Donald Glover, he had the joke about being a black nerd and he's, I'm a black nerd. That was like illegal to like 2006. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yes, because black nerd representation was like Urkel and that was- Yeah, there were very few black nerds even in film. Revenge of the Nerds with Lamar back in 84. And then you had Urkel, and then you had Sprinkle a few, and it's always been your glasses, your suspenders, you're the token Black male or woman. Right, the amount of Black nerdy women, like, I think, I feel like until, like, Awkward Black Girl and Easter Ray, I'm sure no one thought that we existed. I think the closest we probably got was probably, like, Lisa Simpson. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely been a wild ride to expand and expand and change and develop. And speaking of kind of long-term cons, how long have you been going to Farpoint Con specifically? My very first Farpoint was back in 1998. And for those who don't know, Farpoint was actually in October 1st. Ooh. So it started off as an October con. And then I think it was around, I want to say 2001 or two, they switched to February because Farpoint and Shirley were very close to each other because Shirley's always been, which is, by the way, at the same hotel location, just a different time of the year. For those who don't know, Shirley is another convention. And much bigger. It's a fan-run con, but it's much bigger in a lot of ways. More guests, more opportunities, and more craziness. I will tell you that another conversation. But yeah, they switched it up to February, and then one of the first few years, they switched to February. We decided... Oh, Mother Nature, let's give it snow. So it was 30 years ago this year, we had the first and only snow point. And if you ever want to know what fandom is like during a snowstorm, talk to me and talk to some of the people who survived it. (laughs) Let's just say we didn't get out until Tuesday. So a three-day convention became a five-day convention. (laughs) Oh, no. What are we going to do when you put really smart people in a room together and force them to survive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they'll survive. And we'll make some really great choices and some really wonderful mistakes. And it'll be fantastic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So you've been going, you said you've been going since 98. No, 93? 98 for far right, so it's been a number of stories. And also a num- a, another reason why I've gone to convention so long is if you really think about it, if you ever want to meet a celebrity and you don't want to stand out in the cold like some people do in a certain city for a stage door, conventions are the next best thing. But for Farpoint, for me, it's very intimate and you get to actually talk to the celebrity. You get to spend some time and you wouldn't believe how many conversations I have with celebrities at Farpoint and conventions similar to this over the years. And you find out they're just people. 
even though they got a great talent, they're on a wonderful show, they had a long standing career, but they're people at the end of the day. And there are some stories I will tell you about with this far point later on that I still cannot believe it happened but it did. That, that's exciting. And also just, you've gone to Farpoint so many times. Like, what do you love about it? Like top three things you love about Farpoint. All right, the top three things. Number one, I always tell people the number one reason I go to Farpoint is a small convention and you don't feel like a number. I always tell people, if you ever want to do a science fiction convention or a of any convention, start with a small convention because I know some people will be fearful of crowd size, or get lost in a shuffle. Farpoint is nothing like that. It takes you back to the first conventions I have gone to where it's small, you get to talk to people, you get to relax, you don't feel rushed, but you can just hang, just be, just do. The second part I love is its intimacy. As a small convention, you get to go to the panels, which you don't feel like one a thousand. You feel like one in maybe 25 or 50 or a hundred. And you get to ask those questions to celebrities. You get to interact with the panels. You get to talk to people. You get to make new friends, make new experiences. And the third thing I love are the celebrities that they brought. And one of the things that always kept me going back to Farpoint is it's crop of celebrities. And off the top of my head, I met Pinky and the Bring at Farpoint. I have met Tim Russ. Tim Russ was my very first convention interview in 2015. I have met a lot of voice actors that came over the years, including the three we met at Farpoint. And even though most of the times they don't get the top dollar, it doesn't matter. For me to talk to Pinky and the Brain, in 2019 on our 10th anniversary. And for them, I told them to give us a shout out. They did it in their Pinky and the Brain voices. And I will take that for the rest of my life that Pinky and the Brain wish us a happy 10th anniversary at Farpoint. I had Carlos Osraki does his voice during an interview. And that's what I love about Farpoint are the people, the places, the intimacy, and the great experience at the end of the day. And I cannot believe it's been, wow, 25 years since my very first one. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. And actually, speaking of time, since his first one was when Farpoint was in its fifth year, Farpoint is actually 30 years. Oh, my gosh. It can no. it can drink, drive, have a mortgage, and a teenager who says, I hate that. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, I agree with so many things that you said, even though this is my first Farpoint convention, but just like with the intimacy and also getting an interview with Rob Polson and Maurice that I'm forgetting that his last name, though I know it spells an M. Those are the real names-ish no of, yeah. of Pinky and the Brain, for those who don't know. Yeah. And while he did not play for his plug, there's also a book that Rob has out, which is really adorable and sweet and voice actors are incredible. Yeah. Okay, this is probably not going to go in the interview, but whatever. There are two stories. One of Rob Polson doing his character voices after, uh, like, while people were surviving a fire in California. And, like, he was one of the people whose homes were under siege. People were just kind of sad. And he did something where he just made somebody's day by doing some of his voices, which is great. And then 
Kevin Conroy also has a similar story of volunteering at like this kitchen or whatever that was serving first responders at 9-11. Yeah. And he comes out and someone says, hey, you're Batman. And he's, I'm just an actor today. Just kind of help out. They're like, could you do your Batman voice? People, I think they like to hear it. And he does it and people are smiling and just, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And And someone told him later, it was like the first time some of these people had smiled like all week. Oh. And such there's something, no such tragedy. And so it's just amazing just thinking about these voice actors and the characters that they bring forth and the joy that they bring to people. So you're like, you're right. They don't always get like hot billing, but the things that they do and the characters they play are like so, um, so kind of impactful. personal to all of us. Yeah. And impactful. I know Cree Summer is going to be at BlurredCon this year. And I was like... This woman played every single Black female character in every cartoon <laughs> for an entire decade. Like, thank you, Cree Summer, for putting an authentic Black voice to these characters because they swear no that Black voice actors don't exist. And, and not just Cree Summer doing that work, but I'm like, she was Freddie Brooks in a different world. So I'm like, you got no. Freddie to do voice acting? You're a legit, you're a legit my person. Thank you. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that, especially... A lot of people don't understand how much an actor or an actress or a star can have such an impact on a person. And when they have that opportunity to meet that person, to have a conversation and them responding to you, it will stay with them for life. Because one quick story I will tell you is not too many people know I had a speech impairment growing up. And my speech therapist, Dr. Joyce Morris, God rest her soul. She got me into two things to watch, watching the news and watching game shows. So the person I've always wanted to talk to or just meet was the legendary Jim Vance from Channel 4. So about, I think it's seven years ago, I actually got to meet Jim Vance. And I got to thank him for giving me this world of being a journalist. And we had a five minute conversation and I took a picture with him. And I think it was about a couple of years later he passed on. And then when I found out that his homegoing service was going to be at the National Cathedral, I actually went to the, his homegoing service. And there, journalists dream, especially if you're in DC, there were all the journalists from Channel 4, Channel 7, Channel 5, Channel 9. I got to meet all of them. I got to thank them. I even got Chris Matthews from Hardball. I was hosting a radio show at the time. And I told him, I am a radio journalist from WERAFM. And he said, can I be on your show? I said, yeah, we can, if you have the time, you can definitely be on my radio show. And it was wonderful that I got to talk to Gordon Peterson and Andrea Roan and Paul Berry and all these journalists I grew up watching the TV and they helped me with not only my speech and perfecting it, but also the path that led me to where I am right now. And it's amazing when I hear all these stories talking not only to the people, everyday people, I talk to actors and actors and I ask them, who were you, who inspired you? And the stories that they told me It's amazing. When such a person, fictional or not, have an impact on your life, it stays with you. And I'm sure, and I know you, you have a lot of celebrities 
and people who are influential you and you met and it stays with you it helps build who you are it does like i have a, like i've got other stories but this one is interesting because i think it was like again like i said i would run around the cons broke so it's not like i could really afford to do like celebrity photos and celebrity autographs but when i finally got a job and i was like okay let me do this i did a photo with john barrowman and steve amell when era was really big this was not a deep conversation this was a two-second interaction but oh my gosh it's interesting because it stayed with me how impactful it was to me. To get a autograph from Stephen Amell, I had to write my name down and whatever and talk to him a little bit. I tried to talk to him a little bit. But anyway, so he signs my picture and he looks me in the eye and goes, so is it Letitia or Letitia? And I'm like, it's Letitia. Letitia, thank you very much. And that. But that particular question was actually impactful for me. Because one, the way that my name is spelled, my eye is like hanging at in the middle of nowhere. So it looks like it could be a short eye, but no, it's, it sounds like an E. And for someone to care enough to get the pronunciation of my name correctly. Absolutely. Like that, there have been teachers who haven't cared enough to get the pronunciation of my name correct. And so for someone who doesn't know me, who I am one of a million fans who are snaking through a line. That is a little moment of feeling seen because it is particular. And it just lets me know, like in my interactions, to try and make the people who I'm talking about feel seen. Whether it's someone who is a young person or an older person, that time with me is okay. When I interact with people, I want to, if not have a similar impact, be like, hey, yeah, you're here and I want to try to pronounce your name correctly. And I want to give you that eye contact that, yeah, I see you other human, yes. you're valuable. And even if it's only, like I said, a five center interaction, it can stay with you. So I'm like, Ooh. okay, this is really important. And also... It's interesting to see when you have these celebrity interactions at cons, how people interact with fans and also how fans interact with them. And it's really, I don't know how to describe it because you get some people who really get the fan experience. I had a really fun time talking to Dante Bosco in London. He was fantastic. He was so much fun. Oh, and nice. Like, I can't wait to meet him in a few weeks. Yeah, Dante was great. And it was hard because like no one was in his line. I was like, no. <laughs> How can no one be in your line? Oh, come on! I, I mean, I guess it was London. Maybe Hooker right. was well back then, over there. I don't know. But I was like, okay, Dante, I adore you too much to let you just be here unloved. Um, mm. But yeah, since no one was really in his line, we had a chance to really talk. And he was just a sweetheart. I've got a couple others, but anyway, we are going to fast forward. So oh, like, yeah. I, like I said- We could talk all day about our fan interactions and everything. We could, we really could. And this is supposed to be a talk about Farpoint. Okay, so the thing about Farpoint, as Dean has mentioned so far, is that it is a relatively smaller convention. So the other conventions that I mentioned that I went to, they number in the tens of thousands. And so that for me was typically like my normal. So even though you are in those conventions, like one of a number, sometimes I would go in a group, but I'm also a really, um, I don't know how to describe it. I like sometimes just going to these things by myself. 
because being one of a massive number, I almost feel like a spy. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going in and out. I'm dipping and dodging, oh, figuring yeah. this out. I'm coming. In. And also I was born in New York City. So like being one of million, I'm like, I'm totally comfortable. Yeah, you're normal. This is normal for you. This is not a culture shock for you. <laughs> right. It's normal for me. I can navigate it and it doesn't scare me because I'm just like, it, again, it's almost like to me, so being a spy, like I feel almost invisible in a good way. I'm like, I can see the cool things and I can go in and I can go out and I can do this and I can do that. I'm just like, yeah. so Farpoint honestly yeah, felt ask. like a yeah, Farpoint actually felt like a culture talk because it was so intimate. There mm -hmm. was a much smaller group of people. And so I could not fade into the background. It was like, nah, I am very present here. And so- and we can the, see you, we can see you. Exactly, exactly. Because the thing about being one of many is that you can, at least for me, I can choose the point that I want to be seen. So like- when if I'm at a panel and I ask a question, that is when I'm choosing to be seen. Or if there's an event and I can, whether it's perform or be a part of a game, okay, at that point, I'm choosing to be seen. Mm -hmm. Whereas Farpoint is so small that like, you're seen all the time, which is cool. Oh. But I know I felt sometimes, at least in the beginning, where Farpoint feels like you're crashing someone else's high school reunion. Ah, uh, okay. Because it is such a longstanding con and a longstanding intimate con. As someone who is often an observer, I could definitely see people had like longstanding relationships and there was inside jokes and there was like things that were going on. So one of the first things that I did was go to the Prometheus Theater event. Radio Theater, yes. Yeah, so that's a radio theater event. And it was cool. Wilson Cruz, who was the celebrity guest, one of the celebrity guests at this con, he was a part of that. But they were making references to things that had happened at other cons or their relationship with the hotel, which again, I've gone to enough conventions to recognize that a reference is being made, even if I did not know the reference itself. And so that's the thing of, oh, okay, this is interesting. This is new and just adapting to that. So that was interesting for me. And uh, I actually met Dean, just kind of chilling at the, chilling at the bar and he seemed like a friendly person. The person he was listening friendly. So there we are chatting it up. And I'm like, hi, other black person at the bar. How you doing? <laughs> That wasn't the only part. That wasn't the only reason why I spoke to him, but it was like recognizable that I'm mm -hmm. like, hi, other black people. Let's see. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And one another thing I always like to point out when it comes to Farpoint, compared to the big nameless cons, is they're friendlier, much more friendly. If you feel like you're a lost puppy in a sea of people. And someone says hello to you, you're first taking it back, but maybe they're trying to have a conversation or trying to meet you, or this is the first time. And I'm always like an ambassador, especially since I worked not only participated and been to some of these cons, but I've worked at a couple of these cons. So I know the feeling of a person, anyone who is their first convention or their first far point, and you want to give them that warm welcome that they're seen, they're heard, they're new, but they want to be part of the party. So when I saw Letitia, I said, hello, and instantly we clicked. 
we're on it, we're talking, we're getting to know each other, especially it was her very first time working press at this convention. And I've been doing press for a number of years. And it's like, I want to show her the ropes, show her what is different from Farpoint compared to a lot of the conventions she may have been to, which I didn't know until we started talking and we met and show her the ropes of what to do, what are some of the hot spots, and what are some of the things and some of the people you want to talk to. And I'm sure Letitia had a wonderful time being at Farpoint, got a brand new convention to go to, and plus a feather in her cap as far as being a press porter. Bing! And I told her, this is the, and she said, this is the first, I said, Letitia, this is the first of many to come. You think this is the your only one? Trust me, it will not be your only one. It's going to be more to come. Now I can say I've covered a convention and the convention is going to look at you and say, oh, okay, so you covered convention, so you know how to handle the crowd. Okay, let's give her a shot. Let's get her in an awesome con. Let's get her into Florida con. Let's get her into Odecon or whatever con she wants to do. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. And I also just, in my look back at Farpoint and my experience, I did want to talk to someone who had the experience of Farpoint, you know, to get a full view of the experience and of the convention. It's really interesting going to a con like Farpoint. Like I said previously, it's a little bit like going back in time, back to the early days of conventions when there wasn't like all this money being poured into it. And it really was a very fan-centered experience. And because it's so fan-centered, you end up with that intimacy. Sometimes in the older days of the nerd community, there was definitely a kind of like, us against the world type of feeling and i felt some of the remnants of that at firepoint not that people were just kind of like ah people don't like us but this kind of we are together in this space to celebrate and be with one another so that when we go out into the world we're like prepared again so also was interesting for me because this was also my first like clearly this started very specifically trek or like Trek so closely tied. So I hadn't seen that many Star Trek uniforms ever. <laughs> and I know it wasn't a lot in the grand scheme of things, but I hadn't, it was like in the cosplays were Trek specific. And okay. looking at, okay, this person is, has an engineering cosplay. This one is a captain. This one is, this one is that. For me to be someone who does know a significant amount of Trek lore, but not like an extensive amount, but knowing that like you have to, in order to appreciate the uniforms and the costumes that you're seeing, you have to know your Trek lore and know it cold to be like, yes, Captain. Okay. And yeah, mm-hmm. I go to you if I need the lithium crystals. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very, it's a very interesting thing to see, at least for me, to see a con that was so specific. And of course, there were absolutely other fandoms represented. Of course, there were a couple of doctors, and I saw one guy dressed up as Casey Jones, and I personally felt like it's weird that I feel so comforted looking at a man in a hockey mask, but it's Casey Jones, <laughs> right? <laughs> At least it's Casey Jones, not Jason. But I'm like, hockey man, hockey stick. Oh, and there's, because another thing I always want to point out that back in the day, as you mentioned early in our podcast, that there were just cons for certain fandoms. Nowadays, if you had a bigger con, they're celebrating like 30,000 fandoms. So it, it's good to have a convention where it's just a couple. Because there are so many out there, so many different fandoms in science fiction, fantasy, horror, but it sometimes helps that 
if there's one type of fandom that but a fandom that expands generations yeah you got two voiceover actors that's been around for 30 plus years and if you don't know their voice by now shame on you for not knowing that shame on yeah. you yeah, and the fact that one of the voice actors who was there can't drive yet. Gosh, why am I blanking on her name? Riley? Riley. Yeah, Riley. Yeah, Riley, who plays Rock Talk in Star Trek Prodigy. Star Trek Prodigy was a fantastic, fantastic show. Oh my God, the animation, oh, yeah. the voice acting. It is utterly incredible. She's there with her father, who was also a voice actor, which is like super, super special. You have this generation of performers, multi-generational, which is like super cool. And then what was also great is talking to people about, yeah, I used to come here with my kid and now my kid is a, an adult and they are here with me still. And then just thinking about for me, my experience, Friday was like with any con, Friday's kind of when everyone's getting their feet wet. There's a couple things to do, but there's not much. You're there, you're hanging out, you're figuring things out. On Saturday is when I ran around the different panels. I went to the podcast panel because I also like feeling like learning. And I thought it was really well done. And with a lot of like experienced panelists, that is what I kept on running into when I was going to the panels. Like the people who were there not only knew what they were talking about, but were having robust, really exciting conversations that was like, okay, not that like folks were vetted, but like the people who came up with ideas for Farpoint and who they presented, yeah, they knew what they were talking about. They were ready to go, which was super cool. And then also what was interesting about it being a smaller convention and at a hotel, usually there's a bunch of, if you go to a larger con, you're seeing like the goon squad, just in case people get rowdy. There, yeah. there was not a goon squad. I didn't see unless they were like incognito goons. Mm -hmm. And the goon squad, if you don't know, first of all, that's a bride reference. But it's like the people who you call who are volunteers who are not technically security, but they are, we are here to help if something goes awry. The good part is with something like Farpoint, there's kind of a general consensus that like nothing should go awry. But if something does, we, the fans and participants, will not ignore it. So there's like that kind of general consensus, which is super cool. But the fact that there was like no no signs and no kind of visible presence, I was like, this is interesting. But that's, again, me adapting to a smaller event. And one thing I really liked about Farpoint is that in the garden room, which is the kind of room off to the side, away from the panels and away from the, the dealer's room and all of that, this kind of room in the corner, they had snacks and you could chill out there and one thing I've always wanted at a con was like a chill space like mm -hmm. and if you've ever been to a convention again like I said before conventions tend to bring a bunch of introverts together which is great except they will burn out even from each other even when they're really loving their experience so if you go to awesome con or, or otakon or any type of con at some point you will see people just laying out in the hallway just hey <laughs> i am in recovery mode usually they're surrounded by friends and they just kind of they just need a breather we're like well, i needed a breather yesterday but and that's also fine because it's like hey this hit me yesterday, it's hitting you today, it's what happens. But were there a designated room or designated area that was a chill spot? If you've ever had a classroom that had a sensory area where it's, okay, here's where you go in the corner with the fidget toys, and all, that would be great. And so the fact that Farpoint seems to have a place like that, they're like, hey, you want to get away because you've been peopling too much? 
here's where you go. You exactly. you can go back to peopling when you're ready. And I thought that was super, super cool. Yes, you have your hotel room, but it's one of those things where maybe you don't want to go all the way up to your hotel room, but you still need a space. Just, hey, let me just be away from people for a second and then I'll be back in 30 minutes to an hour. Exactly. Yeah, so the fact that Farpoint had that, I thought was super, super cool. So those are some things, those are some of my highlights that like I really enjoyed about the con. Awesome. And another highlight I'd like to point out for everyone here out in the podcasting world is Farpoint is one of the few conventions where you purchase a ticket. One day, two day, doesn't matter. For each day you get there, you get one free autograph. And for, deal, some, deal, of the, deal. And for some of the fans who've been to conventions as long as we both have, we know how expensive autographs can be. <laughs> so if you're there for the entire weekend, you get two free autographs. So with Farpoint, you get half of those stars. Doesn't matter which one. It doesn't matter if it was Billy West or Wilson Cruz or any of the Alice Rockies. If you're there for both week, both days, you get two free autographs. If you're there for one day, you get one free autograph. And that's, and I can only think of probably, I think just Farpoint that does that. Because let's just face it, we all know that money drives anything, even a convention. So you can imagine autographs starting off at, I think the average now is probably $40, $50. And then it's got. Yeah. Yeah, 40, 40 these days, 40, a $40 autograph is a deal. It is very rare that you will get a $30 or $20 autograph. That is yeah. very rare. It starts usually around 40 45 mm-hmm. And then sometimes when you have someone who's super popular, it can be like 70 Then you hit 100 and change if it's two. And it's an experience. Like Yeah, it is. It's interesting because I feel like you shouldn't have to have so much money to enjoy a convention like that that in my head almost feels antithetical to the convention experience but at the same time I understand that kind of it is quote-unquote better with money but also not like I this is me going off on a tangent having gone to a convention while I was pretty much broke and couldn't afford it and going to a convention when I had more access to funds it was a fundamentally different experience, but also that's when I learned that people will choose different cons for different things. So they'll yeah. be like, hey, this is my panel con. So this is the one where I run around and go to all the panels. This is my, I'm getting celebrity autographs con. And so this is the one where I, where I know I'm not going to have time for panels. I'll just be in lines all day getting autographs. And then you have, this is my con where I just hang around the dealer's room all day. And that's the plan. And I was like- oh, yeah. Oh, like I, I did not know until I had talked to someone about that. That was like their con strategy, if you will. You're right about that. And you're right. Different cons, different reasons or different autographs. And for me going to conventions for almost three decades now, it's like, I am so grateful. I went at the time I went because autographs back then were usually $10, dollars $25. And you get the picture right there. And ever since the 21st century is now a price for the picture, a price for the autograph, a price for the professional picture, a price if you want to get a recording, a price for this, a price for that. It's like, geez, Louise, sometimes I have to 
budget of how much I'm going to spend at a convention these days. Yeah. When you go to a sports convention and a sports memorabilia, it's like you get very little time with the athlete, maybe five, 10 seconds. But with this convention, you get that intimacy, you get that time. Who would have thought that at Farpoint or some of the smaller cons, you get five, 10, 15, 20 minute conversations shooting the shit with a celebrity that you enjoy. And for that's the price of admission right there. And I love it. Most, if not all the celebrities they pick are fan friendly. They are the ones who will talk to you. They are the ones who will interact with you. They are the ones that are not just there for the money. They're there to have fun. Most of the celebrities I've met never been to Baltimore, never been to the area. Riley, for example, this was her very first small con. She was at New York Comic Con. And from what I heard from Carlos, her dad, she had a very wonderful time. She felt relaxed. She felt wonderful. She felt she could be herself, a teenager. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the good and bad, or we were talking about the bad of the popularity of conventions and how that's changed over time. But I feel like the good part about it is some of it with the celebrity interactions and also the focus in the 20th century is like the phrase, a cosplay is not consent, which means no matter what you're wearing, you don't mess with people. And then also the popularization of how to treat celebrity guests at conventions that were like, hey, you are treating these people kindly. This is what you're doing, et cetera. But also the response back of, hey, celebrity person, here's also how you treat fans. Because I feel like the most common thing that people were familiar with when it comes to convention is like the the Shatner SNL sketch from way back when. Which, if you don't know, young nerds of the universe, I'm not saying you should watch it, but you should know it. That was, that was a seminal point in nerd history. And so I feel like when more celebrities are going to these conventions, they have convention agents. There's an entire system where it's, okay, here's what you do. Here's what a con is. And here's what you should prepare for. And so that kind of prep, I think, is actually super cool. And then what's interesting also is, again, Think about where cons were and where they are today. The fact that people are so public with things like fan art or fan fiction, or they're like, not that they're selling them anymore, but they somewhat are. Like, I remember when they were like, oh my gosh, this actor is walking the floor. Dry up the well. Oh my God. You would swear like fandom was just so underground for so long. But anyway, back to Farpoint. So Farpoint was super cool. And there were so many things that I enjoyed. There was also some challenges with Farpoint this year. So yeah, we both can think of one in particular. <laughs> Yeah, so I had a few challenges at Farpoint this year. The first night, there was a karaoke night, which I am a huge karaoke fan. And karaoke, it's fun and it's exciting. And there will also be karaoke at Shirley. I plan to attend because I think it'll be really cool. And so I really enjoyed it. People were having a lot of fun. But partway through the time that I'm being there, this one guy goes up and he thinks, what's that song called? Dixie. Yes, he sings Dixie. And so if you don't know what that song is, to me, even though I have no clue if any Confederate soldiers actually sang it, it feels like the theme song of the Confederacy. It seems like this like older song, the Dixie song, which, how can I put it? What I remember, my specific memory about 
Dixie, honestly, which is funny, which is like how weird I am. I remember that was a song that they used in Wild Wild West to introduce their villain because mm-hmm. he was an old Confederate soldier that basically wanted to be like, we are destroying everything and I hate Black people. And I'm like, okay. So what was your experience? Because Dean and I experienced this together. As like you, I love going to karaoke nights. Vic's place, both at Farpoint Shoreweave. If you've never been, go to it. You're going to have fun. You and I were talking with another person. And then I was listening to the songs as I normally do when I'm talking. And then when I heard the lyrics of that song, I thought, this couldn't be until they went to that stirring melody, Dixie. Oh, Dixie. I said, oh, shit. What the? Okay. As I've been to conventions in since 94, that was the very first time at any con at any experience, I thought, yeah, I need to get out of here. I felt, as a Black person, a Black man, it's like, of all the songs they could have had at karaoke, why is that part of it? So I'm glad that you and I and our friend, we just got the hell out of Paris. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? And I want to point out that we were not the only ones who left. We may have been, and again, it's one of those things where, you know, the three of us, we were not the only Black folks in the room, but in a room of, we'll say, 40 people, we were like three of six. And so for me, it was definitely notable. And I was like, oh, okay. And something about, again, often being in the nerd space, being one of few Black folks, one of the few people of color is common experience. You just adapt to it. And that is not something that is, oh my gosh, now I feel in danger, but it's these are the friends who I'm with who are into the thing that I'm into. So let me just bond with them as one does. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and so in this experience, again, this is me meeting Dean for the first time, and we're there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Me and his other friend and him, we leave. She's leaving silently. I, being somewhat of a loud troublemaker, decide to walk out with, like, the Black Panther fist in my hand and shouting Wakanda forever, just because I can be rude like that when I want to be. But then later, we were talking to some other people about what happened at the karaoke and they told us that like other people had left and it really brought down the room etc cetera, etc cetera. which understandable but what was also interesting is that both Dean and I had to explain that it wasn't just oh this song is distasteful it's that this actually has a history to it and yeah. and that needs to be acknowledged and this also, in my opinion, didn't even need to be an option in the karaoke catalog. Why wasn't even there? And I can understand since there's often like a group of quote unquote American standards in a karaoke catalog, but I'm like, that can be deleted. Like there's no reason for it to be there. And, and the so- is, I talked to a lot of my convention committees from Farpoint and it said it will never happen again. And they make sure that they let the people know from Vic's Place that the song will be deleted because... They had several complaints about what happened, several. 
not just us. They had a lot of complaints from people. And it's really great that because Frog Point is small, things that may not be going great can be addressed. And, you know, going through levels upon levels of bureaucracy and people who just, I refuse to change because we've been doing this forever. They're like, no, no, we care. And we want to make sure that this is a solid experience for everybody. It's like, yeah. So it's great that there was like people being responsive. And that's one of the things that can be much harder at a larger convention, that there's just so many layers to go through. It's hard to find who do you need to be responsive to? I've definitely seen some things happen at larger conventions where someone literally had to create a social media campaign and just maybe like really loud on Twitter. You'd be like, oh, you said this thing was broken? Yes, fix the air conditioner. I have to do an entire social media <laughs> campaign for you to realize. So yeah. yeah. And that's one thing, and that's another thing I would like to point out to people for Farpoint is that at the end of every Farpoint, they have an after con every time. So for people, so they, and it's usually at the the tail end of the convention on Sunday. So people gather around, they will tell you what they like, what they dislike, what can be changed. And it could be about anything doing with the con, even the hotel, even if the one time at a convention, I'm not sure which one, if the electricity went out and it wasn't fixed. And when it comes to the PowerPoint committee, they will listen, they will respect you, they will take notes to make sure whatever needs to be changed, whatever needs to be updated, they make note of that and they will discuss it for the planning of their next convention because God knows they've been around for 30 plus years and they want to be around for 30 more when all the futuristic science fiction fantasy horror comes to life. And I love that about PowerPoint that they will respect what is needed, what needs need to be done. So when this happened, our voices were not silent. They were heard, they were understood, and they took action. And I'm very proud of them. And that's why Farpoint will always be at the top of one of my conventions, favorite all-time conventions. Yeah, like I said, I had a whole lot of fun. I will say, however, unfortunately, to put also things back in the con, con of the con pile, that um, because... Firepoint has been around for so long and because it's a smaller convention. This also means that for me, that I can be up close to people, which I wouldn't necessarily be up close to normally. And so that means that things that may be kind of like microaggressive things that happen can be a little bit more common. Being at a smaller convention and being, like I said, a Black person at a smaller convention you're noticeable and there's this not expectation but if you're there sometimes it's like oh hi black person you look like you're comfortable here i assume i can talk to you about anything let me talk to you and so what can happen is that you end up with people some very well-meaning people who say some things and you're kind of like which oh you how deep do I want to get into this? Because I know you didn't mean to err. I can feel your earnestness. I can feel your wanting to connectness. And you made a tizzy. How much do I know when to address this tizzy? And it's one of those things to, to again, to navigate. Yeah. So. And it really takes some time to get used to Because I know I had to, from my personal experience, I had to 
cut off some people throughout the convention scene over the years because they felt that they could talk about any certain subjects. And I had to put my foot down to tell them that, okay, if you're going to talk to me about this subject, just be ready for an answer you may not like or may not like hear because I am a very vocal person and God knows I'm very educated. I'm newsworthy. So if there are certain topics you're going to talk about, I'm not going to say, oh, I'd like to hear every conversation that you have. It's okay. How am I going to approach this conversation in the most dignified, signified? Over the years, there hasn't been too many political conversations about that because I'm here to escape from the everyday life. I'm here for fandom. I'm here for my friends. Yep, I'm here yep, to have yep. freaking fun. I want to meet celebrities. I didn't, it's not a place for freaking politics or to hear your political stances. God, even during the four years, the unforgettable four years, thankfully those conversations with the people, my friends were not happening as much, very, I say not much, really not much conventions that I've been to, but it's like, I'm always prepared what could be talked about and do I want to spend my time and my every waking minute discussing this or is, you know what? conversation, another time, somewhere else. I want to have fun. I want to hang out with friends. I want to meet new people. That's what I'm here. I'm yeah, it's here like... The reporter dean or dean, the highly educated newsworthy man. I'm here to have fun. Just Pretty much, deep. yeah. I'm here. I'm here just to be here and enjoy myself. And I'm not. I, I and I do have a background in educator, but I'm like I am here to enjoy myself as myself. I am yeah. not here to be your educator today. So, so one thing that happened to me at a panel is a panel for Star Trek Discovery, which was cool. It was a cool panel, and they were just talking about different, again, the different storylines of Star Trek Discovery. And here's something that's interesting I didn't notice about the panels. The panels were yeah. well attended by people who were totally like either experts in their field, really knew their stuff the panels were also fairly monochromatic so that's just in general taking whatever sense that wilt but we were talking about the character of michael burnham and what she's been through getting to the character's discovery etc cetera, etc cetera. and so one thing that i mentioned as someone who is sitting in the audience was michael burnham's hair and mm -hmm. how her hair changes throughout discovery and that is also indicative of her journey how she goes from having very relaxed straight Vulcan hair as you see in the flashbacks and then later on even when she's with Philippa Giorgio and then how she has her natural hair and now that she's captain she has braids mm -hmm. so you have this again this kind of hair journey which yeah. is also indicative I think of like conformity and trying to like not necessarily be someone that she's not but really trying to follow the rules and all of that and be this type of person and then going through this transitional period of who am I what am I doing and then finally get to this point where she is she seems more settled and seems yeah. more like I am assured of what I'm doing one thing I told people just talking about like her arc and this I didn't say this at far point but I was like, the impetus for Michael Burnham getting imprisoned is she betrayed her captain, quote unquote, but her purposes were like, I was, did that to actually save you. That was her goal. Yeah. Her goal was actually not to take over Philippa's authority because she actually yeah. loves her dearly. It was oh, yeah. like, I don't really think you're making a decision here and people's eyes are fake and we need to do this. And, and so I mentioned people, I was like, it's not that season four Michael wouldn't have made the same decision 
as season one Michael. I think she would have. I think she just would have done it in a way that either she wouldn't have gotten caught or she would have done it in a way that she would have stood with whatever decision that she would have made. Or like she would have done it in a way that like made it the most efficient way possible. I stand in that decision. Which, like, Michael at the time was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm trying. Which is great for her character. But anyway. It is. Um, Especially since she still has that Vulcan human struggle, which we have seen evolve and change and transformed over the course of four seasons. And there are times when I've seen throughout the series, she is still struggling. She's still trying to find that happy balance between... Do I act the logical way or do I act a human way, even though I'm full-blown human? While she is not, quote-unquote, like, biracial or by species or whatever you want to call it, she is bicultural. And that's an interesting dynamic that people want to talk about, how the cultures that you're brought up in and how she, even in the most recent seasons, where she's like, as a citizen of Navarre, because I was here, and I do have a claim to Vulcan, even as a human, mm-hmm. this is a right of mine. And it's, yeah, you do belong here because, you know, this is your culture. Anyway, I made that observation about her hair and a lot of people are like, oh my God, oh, I never, oh yeah. And I'm like, yeah, black person with C, with 4C hair type, I, I would recognize that and all of that, which is cool. I get that's not something that a lot of people would pick up on, understood. But there was mm-hmm. a guy who responded to me and he was like, is that even that big of a deal? You could just make a replicator, a replicator could do that and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so I like responded back to him because he had multiple things to say. I was Thank like, you for responding back. <laughs> yeah, no, I responded back to him. I was like, look, even if it was a replicator, I get this thing, I responded in Rex speak. So I was like, even if it was a replicator, someone actually had to program that and decide that black hair was important enough to put that into the system. But I'm sure you have another point. So go to that. And so he did. But then, because I was actually right, right by the door, then he walks by me. And goes, if you just make one, you can just make the other. And I literally said, I was like, please keep moving or I will kick you. <laughs> and he was basically black hair explaining to you. I was like, all right, because what I was doing initially in the panel was like talking about how does the how does her hair align with her character development? That was my point. And that's a very, very good valid point because for us black people, we would see that, especially majority of us, we have to go through that in our everyday jobs based on where we're at with our jobs. If we're at the beginning of our jobs, we have to conform to what is the job's company's culture. And by the time we go up to junior management, senior management, vice presidents, that hair will talk about the journey we have taken. Yeah. And then also just in like the natural hair care movement that had been done. And that's something that we noticed in the final season, Burnham has braids. And I'm like, that either tells me again, either that someone cared enough in the system to put, hey, this is how you take care of black hair, or which would be for me more impactful, that there is someone there who knows how to part hair. And who knows how to use whatever oils that are available because braiding hair and taking care of hair is a very culturally important experience. There's this level of care and level of trust that happens with that. And so 
for me, even something as quote unquote simple as hair care talks about the preservation of culture and tradition even into the future. And actually, when I went to Wilson Cruz's panel, I talked to him somewhat relevant about that since there was a choice to make Dr. Kolber very specifically Puerto Rican. And so I had asked him like about that cultural specificity and what did that mean to him? And what did that mean to other actors? Now he just talked about himself, but also Awoshikon is specifically Nigerian. When they brought Uhura in Strange New World, she is specifically Kenyan, which that matters. And seeing that specificity in Star Trek, it's super important to me. If I remember serves correctly, my knowledge of Trek, I think they've established her Kenyan way before Strange New Worlds. I think they did probably, I would say, 90s, 80s. I don't recall, but I definitely remember reading somewhere that she was from Nairobi in her character background. I know it wasn't in the 60s, but I say in 80s and 90s, somewhere around that point, they did establish that. Yeah, yeah. And that's great. That's great. That cultural specificity. But anyway... Back to Far Apart Con. I know. Yeah. Thank you to the patients of hopefully my listeners that we keep on veering all these different places. This is going to be a very interesting episode. Hey, when you get two trackers together, what do you expect? You know? Pretty much. Pretty much. In Far Point Con, especially if you are to go, I definitely recommend going. I had such a great time. And also, my rule when it comes to the dealer's room is to go on Sundays. Nine <laughs> times out of ten, I go on Sundays. Why? Because just general deals and people are trying to like sell like the last of their wares. If you want to get the prime pickings, yes, go on Saturday, go on Friday if you want to get like the prime selection. But if you're fine with clearance sales and also usually the lines are smaller on Sundays and you get to like actually talk to the vendors and I got to meet some really cool people. I got a crown, like a crown was like $20. It was like with the tiaras. It was fantastic. And hung out at Hats and Spats. They were great and got to see some clips from people's different fan films and all that. That was great. I hope you watched Starship Farragut. I hope you watched Starship Farragut. <laughs> I have not, but I I will say, I know I'm awful. I'm horrible. One thing I did do because I am not just a nerd, I'm a nerd teacher, as I've described. So mm -hmm. I did come up with a little rubric to rate Farpoint. Everything is graded from one to five. All right. I just want to go through this now. It's 10 points. It's a lot because I'm attempting to be detailed, but I want to be accurate. So for the website, I gave the website a two. Okay. Uh, two out of five. Because four days before the con, parts of the website were not updated. And the layout feels like very late 90s, like GeoCities and like Angel Fire. No, I get that it's, it's a volunteer staff and people are just like trying to do what they can. It was difficult finding the con program on the site. Yes, I know normally when it comes to the con program, they usually put it up about one to two weeks before the convention says you want to make sure everything is finalized, orders any last minute changes. So I guess that's why it's, it didn't come until about a week or two before the convention. Yeah, like I said, it was like four days before the convention. I was like, why is 2022 stuff still up? But, you know, that happens. However, the program itself, I gave a five because I felt the program itself I was really well organized, had really great information, and I felt prepared to go into con after reading it. I know I'm just, I'm a planner. I'm an organizer. I'm just like, let me mark it up and let me download the program. I swear people who just go to cons and just be like, I'll do I'm like, I do not understand you, but I get that they do it, but that's because I'm a weirdo. Variety in the dealer's room, like variety of people who were there, whatever. I gave that a five. I really enjoyed the dealer's room. There was so much there for a very small space, even though yeah. you kind of had a hallway in another room. I thought it was really great. You had different vendors all throughout the hallways and all that. So I just thought it was really fun. 
Kids activities, but one, I heard that they were planned, but the person who usually does them was ill. Wait, what, I'm sorry, what type of activities were these? I'm sorry. Kid, kids activities. Oh, kid activities, activities for okay. people who were, who are children. Um, no, okay. So yeah, that unfortunately got like a one because I don't really see any. Um, but, but there were a couple things that a few of the vendors were doing that that were for kids and that was great. But yeah, the panels as in variety of topics and knowledgeable panelists, I also gave a five, thought that was great. The staff, whether or not they were helpful, gave that a five, that was great. Plenty of adult activities, both for in general and also the adult activities that occasionally go on in a hotel, we will not talk about that. But there are plenty of things to do in general, late at night and all of that. So I thought that was great. The celebrity panels, so every panels, I also gave a five. I really enjoyed the Wilson Cruz panel that I was at. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the celebrities themselves. But yeah, I thought it was really great. And it did seem, think about like the way it was organized, that people were knowledgeable. Because it's just important, I feel, even in celeb panels, to have a moderator who seems like they really care what's, what's going on. Oh, yeah. Someone who's definitely knowledgeable is Farpoint. Shirley, call me. Call someone good. I interview celebrities. I do my homework. I can do this. <laughs> yeah, but I had a good time at the celebrity panels. Most people say, said that they did, so that's good. Cosplay events, I gave about a three. The masquerade seemed to be short due to a the charity auction part of it, but the charity part of Farpoint is actually pretty cool and pretty unique. So totally support that. But the organization of it felt like a little wonky. Um, but there were good cosplays, but not really many like photo shoots or opportunities to kind of show it off in a collective. But there mm-hmm. were some, but there were some really great cosplays and people seemed to have a really good time. And for those who want to know who won Best in Show this year, it went to a couple who designed their R2D2 and C3R costumes as they were of the Tudor days. We're talking about I think it was Shakespeare, yeah, and they almost swept every category there. I think they won at least five awards that night. Yeah, that's super awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super cool. And then general vibes, about a three, because like I said, it felt like going to someone else's high school reunion for good and for ill. So the good part is that the only thing you need to do to be a part of this high school class is attend. And you will be a part of that high school class soon. However, on the ill part of it, you also have those people at a high school convention who never grow up. Exactly. The and ones have- who do not leave high school. And yes, friends, it is true. I will make it a general announcement. There are some people, there are some fans that do belong to, as William Shatter said, the Get a Life fan club. It is normal for every fandom, not just tracks. Yep. Be wary of that especially if you go to your first convention. And most of all, don't let that experience put you off entirely because majority of the fans who attend these conventions are normal, have jobs, have lives afterwards, myself and Letitia included. So find those people, be friends with them, and you'll make a friend for life. Absolutely, absolutely. And there is, and I'm actually mad I missed it. There was a panel about toxic fandom oh, and really? about the, yeah, and about those people who there is this aspect of fandom where they do feel like this level of ownership when anything changes or anything it does is they're like, Rawr! this is still fiction. Like, as important as to me, I still recognize that I live in the realm of like taxes and car accidents and things that are every day. So sometimes those, older and some of it is new of course but sometimes you do end up you run into those fans who are very 
possessive of not just the property, but the community that is involved in whatever property. So that does exist, but it definitely isn't the majority of the experience. Not anymore. Your majority of your fans are much younger. They're in their 20s or their 30s, even their teens. And because of the many fandoms out there, you will find a fandom or a friend in that fandom that you will be able to connect with. So it doesn't have to be a person who still like 60 track and only 60 track and God is the 60 track and nothing else. So you got all the fans from Prodigy, from the anime, from the Dr. Hugh series, from the Babylon 5 series, no matter what series, you are going to find a fan who likes the series, enjoys series, tolerates series. I'm a huge Farscape fan, which for some people, it's not quite antithetical to Trek, but it is. But there's so many Farscape fans who just like absolutely love that and also love Trek and love like them for their differences and their similarities. So my final rating for Farpoint, I gave it a 39 out of 50, which hits it at around a 78%, which means it's like around a... B minus C plus range for my experience. Which That's I'm, not bad. No, like, fair. It's, it's like, I did not have a bad time. At all. At all. There are things that it would have improved, but overall, I didn't have a bad time. And would I recommend people attend the con? Absolutely. However, unlike me, I would not recommend to go alone. So I would say if you're going to go to Farpoint, go with a friend, go with a crew, especially if it's your first time, because you really will get the chance to like, hey, let us go together and let's be together. And then as a group, you can get to know people and expand. So I just think that coming with the crew is a way to get comfortable there. So yeah, that's my review of Farpoint. I think it's a fine convention. I think I love its history. And again, it feels like a convention from back in the day. But also, if you're going to go, go with a bit of a crew yourself. And I think you'll have a great time. It's a great review. Dean, thank you so much for joining me. This has been such a fun, meandering conversation. As we journey through the Alpha, Beta, and Delta quadrants, what do you expect? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. So thank you so much for joining me. Anything else you want to plug that is coming up soon for you or the Rogers Review? There's always things that we're planning to do, but the best way I will tell people is go to the site, the Rogers Review. That's T-H-E-R-O-G-E-R-S-R-E-V, as in Victor, U-E.com. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, all the same, The Rogers Review. We're also on YouTube, The Rogers Review 09 for the year we've started. And that way you can see all the interviews we've done. We're adding a Billy West video interview, calls us Rocky and Wilson Cruz from Farpoint before and during the convention. And plus we'll have some red carpet, some exclusive interviews that are coming up. So join the website, have some fun, and you never know, you may run into me at convention. Oh, and let's see, what else do I have to plug? That I'm also part of Starship Farragut and I'm part of the new series Farragut Forward. And that should be coming out sometime in 2024, I believe. So be on the lookout for that. But you can find Starship Farragut on YouTube. All the episodes from our classic Trek are there, but we can't wait to put those monster maroons and fly out into the late 23rd century, as I say. Starship Farragut is a fan film series and it's awesome. So just 
plugging if you want to know what that is. Thank you so much. So happy that you're here. It's been really great. And to all my lovely listeners of Introspectional, I hope you enjoyed this conversation and have a fantastic day. Thank you.